Amen. There are two things that I, uh, neg- two additional things I neglected to mention earlier, as I did notices, and I trust you'll forgive me for that. But if you are here and you have children with you, just to let you know that we do have a holiday Sunday school that is happening now in the North Hall, t- and uh, you're welcome to take them through there, and uh, Joe and the team will, will look after them for you. And then also, um, we also need to take up our offering, which is something I neglected to earlier. My apologies, but it is a part of our worship here at Connect Church. We love to not only sing to the Lord, not only give testimonies to His goodness, but we love to give to Him from what He has given to us so that we can do all the things He's called us to do. So we invite you to do that. If I've still got some stewards left, if they could uh, pass the bags around, that'd be wonderful. And uh, we'll just take up an offering as I, as I get going. So thank you so much for that. Just to say, it really is wonderful for me to be here in marriage. I don't get this opportunity often, um, and I think I'm going to be here more in the next three weeks than I've been here throughout the rest of the year, which is, which is exciting for me. It's wonderful to have a chance to be with you. And uh, last week in Musenberg, we did something a little interesting. We had a service on the beach. So, uh, so that was quite fun and exciting for us, and we, we were really trusting in faith that God would give us good weather. And so we were praying that the wind would be calm. And the wind looked calm, but then the rain came. And we're like, Lord, I really didn't think we'd need to be praying that it would not be sunny in, the, in December. But nonetheless, uh, we, we, we went there, we went through, and 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, the rain just stopped. And it moved away, and the sun came out, and we had a beautiful day. So God is a wonderful God, even in the small things. And it's exciting to be here with you, even though we're not on the beach, because I can't get burnt in this auditorium, which is much more exciting. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to begin with you our Christmas series, which we've called Simply Christmas. And uh, we're going to be going through, through this from now until um, the 25th or the 31st. And we're going to be talking through um, at what Christmas is. And it's, Christmas is such an interesting thing because for a preacher, it's both a unique opportunity uh, to speak to some of you who, are, who don't really come to church very often. Or maybe there's some of you who are here this morning and this is part of your sort of annual church attendance. And that's wonderful. We're really, we're really glad that you're here. But for many of us who do go to church often, you know, it's, it's a bit of a challenge because the message is really the same, right? It's all about Jesus. I mean, his, his name is, is in the title, right? It's Christmas. It's, it's not Xmas. It's Christmas. It's about Jesus and his coming to earth. And, and that's quite a familiar story for us. And so I wanted to, 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 to ask, how do, how do we begin to share into that story and, and what Jesus has come to do? Because it's such an incredible story. It's such a, a powerful and a wonderful story. Um, but how do we do that in a way that's fresh and exciting? And this is like the preacher's challenge every year, to present the birth of Jesus in a new, fresh, and exciting way. But you have journeyed with the Lord far longer than I have. And I'm sure there are very few ways I could invent the coming of Jesus that would, uh, that would make it new and exciting. But the thing is God, is, God is with us. And that's what I'm trusting this morning. I'm trusting that as I share about something that is probably familiar for many of us, that God will make His Word come alive to us. And He will speak truth and life into our hearts. So can we take a moment to just pray together and ask God to do that, and then we'll get going. Our Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. Jesus, thank you that you came, that you were born in a manger, and that you gave your life for us, that you lived out everything that we could never do, that you fulfilled the Father's holy and righteous standards that you set a model for us in all faith and practice. And you gave your life for ours so that we could come to know you again. We bless you for that, Lord. And I pray in our Holy Spirit, as I begin to speak and to teach 
from the scriptures that you have left with us. God, I pray that you would come and minister your life into our hearts. And we, we would be captured anew and afresh by the wonderful glory of the coming of our Savior. We ask that in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so for my side, as I wrestled with how to begin to do this, um, I, I chose to do my, the, the two messages that I have in this series. I chose to preach on two of the gospel stories where Jesus shares with the people around him why it is that he has come. So he's having a conversation with people, and as a part of that conversation, he says, this is the reason that I came. Because whilst the manger narrative is important and it's very significant and a lot of really wonderful things happen there, it's the, the reason that Jesus came, for me, that's the most important part about Christmas. Right? And so we're going to look at, at some of those things. And we're not going to tell the story of Jesus being born in a manger. I'm not. Maybe Howard or Roland will, as they share in the series. Right? But, uh, but that's not what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you two of the passages where Jesus shares the heart of Christmas, why it is that he has come. And uh, so I'm going to spend my, my first story. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5 in verses 27 to 32. And, uh, and I'm sure this will be familiar for many of you. This is the story of how Jesus calls the guy called Levi or Matthew. If you, uh, you, Matthew and Levi are probably the same people. And Matthew records his name as Matthew in his gospel, um, but Levi in Luke and Mark. And we, you can turn there. You can follow along with me on the screen. But this story kind of happens near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus recently had an encounter with Peter, James, and John on the shore of the Lake of Galilee. And he's done this miracle where they've hauled in all these fish. And they've had this revelation of, of who Jesus is. And this miracle follows a little, this story follows a little bit later in that chapter. Because a few days later, Jesus is walking around and, and he's going from one village to another. And there's a group of people that are kind of following him. And, and as he goes along, he's teaching, and he's stopping off in different places, and he's teaching the people that are following him, and, and he's beginning to heal people of their illnesses and their diseases, and so this is generating quite a crowd. And as he stops off in one place, and he begins to teach and to, to heal people there, we get the story of the guy who's been paralyzed. Do you remember that story? He's got some very dedicated friends, and they're carrying him on a stretcher, and they're trying to get him to Jesus because they realize that this man is someone special, that he can do for their friend what no one else has been able to do, and he can make him walk again. So they carry him on a stretcher, and they get to the house where Jesus is teaching, but there's so many people that they can't force their way through the crowd because they're carrying this awkward stretcher. So they, they get real dedicated, and they find a ladder, and they climb up onto the roof of the place Jesus is teaching, and they dig a hole. I'm sure the homeowner would have been a little frustrated, right? And they lower this guy down on a stretcher, and Jesus heals him. And, and he has this teaching moment with the Pharisees who are there. Once he healed this guy, he heals him in a way, and he says, you know, what's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And then they get all awkward because he's claiming this authority that is God's alone. So that's, the, that's the context that our story lands in. Luke says it's after this that he went out, right? That he went out and, and he saw a ta tax collector. And I want, you to, I want you to picture this scenario with me for a moment. You're, you're in first century Palestine, and it's probably hot. It's maybe mid-morning to afternoon. There's people bustling around the streets. And there's, there's a bit of a marketplace at the end of the street. And there's a bunch of people, they're selling things, they've set up stalls. If you've ever been to the Musenberg Market on a Sunday afternoon, maybe it's a little bit like that. It's people selling things all over the place. And one of the stalls, there's this guy sitting in Levi, and he's got his tax booth there. He's like the local SARS office, right? Except that there's no aircon in the SARS office. You just queue outside in the sun and get burnt. 
Right? There's a whole bunch of people, and they're all waiting. They're hot, they're tired, and they're sweaty, and they're coming to Levi to help them with their taxes, to pay their taxes. He says this. Jesus, this is the scene. He, he went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. Does that, is that a little bit weird? Like, I don't know if, that's, if that strikes you as strange. But for me, I read that story and I'm just wondering to myself, like, like what, what just happened? How, how, did, how did Levi go from, I'm a tax collector, sitting in my booth, I'm doing my business. Jesus comes along, says two words, he gets up, leaves everything and goes. Right? And the Greek is actually quite, quite helpful here. Um, the, the verb followed. Right, that's used to describe how Levi went, is uh, it's in the inceptive imperfect, right, which is theological speak to mean that he began something and then continued it. Right, so it's not like he got up and went for a little walk with Jesus. That's, that's not really what's being spoken about here. It, it's an invitation to discipleship. Right, it, this was quite a normal thing that rabbis would do at the time is they would, that people would come and follow them and be tutored and discipled under them and they would walk around with them and they would be taught day in and day out by the rabbi. And, this is, and, and they would do this so that one day they too could become rabbis and enter into the sort of religious sect of the day. And this is the call that Jesus extends to Levi. And he says, why don't you leave behind being a tax collector and come and join me and follow me in this ministry that I'm doing? And I, and I can't help but, but as I read that, I think to myself, like, what's going on? Like, wh- why, why does Levi make that decision? Why does a successful tax collector leave behind everything to become a disciple of this teacher? Right? Because you need, we need to understand, Levi, he's, he's like made it. Right? In, in first century Palestine, he, he has, he's, got, he's ticked all the boxes. You know, he's a successful guy. He's making lots of cash dollars. Right? He's got the Lamborghini version of a donkey to commute on. Right? He's got the fastest donkey in the land because it's expensive and he bought it. And he probably had to tread on a few toes to get there. Right? He's probably not the most popular guy in the office. But maybe that's what it takes to get ahead in life and that's, that's what he's done. So what on earth is going on for him to get up, leave everything, leave it all behind and go and follow Jesus? What's happening? And if that wasn't enough, the story kind of gets better in the next verse. Not only does he leave everything to follow Jesus, it says this, right? He says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. So not only does Levi leave behind his whole business and his whole livelihood and everything that he's done for most of his adult life, right? His clients kind of standing in the heat waiting for his services that are now no longer going to be supplied. But the first thing that he does in this following Jesus story is that he goes and he says, Jesus, I want you to come to my house. And I'm, we're going to hold a massive party. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to invite all of my friends. And I would really love for you and your disciples to be there. And you'll notice that most of the people who are there, it says they, they were tax collectors like Levi. Right? Now, this is not the nicest bunch of people that, you know, to, to be hanging out at a party with. Right? There's a whole lot of stigmas around tax collectors. Um, someone once likened them to, it's like the guy that stands on the corner in your neighborhood and sells drugs to children. That, that, that's uh, the sentiment that tax collectors had in the community because they were, they were typically very selfish. They were typically quite underhanded. They would, they would cheat you out of the taxes that you were paying. They were typically very amoral. 
And whilst you had to use their services, they couldn't really be trusted. And they were, they were your own people. They were Jewish people that were giving to the Roman government. And so they, they were seen as traitors in the land. Many of you, I'm sure, know this, right? The point is, this is a party of not wonderful people. This is a group of people that, that you probably wouldn't invite to come around to your house. But Levi calls them, and he, and he invites them to come and to dine with Jesus and his disciples. So what has happened to this guy that causes him to act like that? That was my big question as I began to study this text. That was the thing that, that didn't quite seem normal. And, it, and for me, it doesn't seem like the information that we have here justifies Levi's response. I can't help but feel that there's something more going on that Luke hasn't recorded for us to help us understand this. And I'm trying to wrestle through Levi's interesting behavior. I, I remembered another passage that I'd read in Luke before, in Luke chapter 18, and it's a fictional story or a parable that Jesus tells about two men that go to the temple to pray. Do you remember that story? Right, the one's a tax collector and the other one's a Pharisee. Right? The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. Right? And he tells the story, and I think that the key that unlocks our passage is in the story. Right, so we're going to read that together, and, uh, and we're going to see, because Jesus tells the story to illustrate how important it is to have the right heart response to God. That's really the reason he tells the story. And the, the characters that he uses in the story, the tax collector and the Pharisee, they typically embody the quintessential natures of their, of their characters, right? So the tax collector kind of stands for tax collectors in general and the Pharisee for Pharisees in general. So let's read it, let's read it together in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Jesus tells the story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I don't extort people. I'm not unjust or an adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. I'm a real great guy. He says, thank you, Lord, that you've made me to be such a wonderful chap. The tax collector stands far away. He doesn't want to enter deep into the temple. He wants to kind of distance himself from the presence of God. And he says this, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus finishes the story. He says, I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think in this parable, Jesus gives us the key to understand Levi's response. See, we can't see behind Luke's text in that story about what's happening in Levi's heart. Luke doesn't tell us that. We can only see what he does, and that's instructive for us, and it helps us to deduce what might be going on in his heart. See, the tax collector in the story that Jesus tells is painfully aware of his own sinfulness. That's why he, he doesn't feel like he can even come close to the holy place. He feels unworthy before God. Whereas the Pharisee, on the other hand, is so oblivious to his own sin that he walks in thinking that he's a wonderful guy. And Jesus says he leaves under God's judgment. He's not justified in the this is, this is what Levi has done. This is what I think. This is what I think. He, he is a man that has fallen short 
of God. He is a man that is unworthy to come into the presence of God. And in his heart, he feels that, and he carries that because, you know, his own people won't even associate with him. That's why he has to invite a whole bunch of tax collectors around because they're the only people that want to spend time with him. It's not just because that's where he worked and those are the guys in his office. But, but the other Jewish people don't want to, And he feels that, ostrac- that ostracizing. He feels that, that, that he's a bit of a pariah. He feels that, you know what, he's doing this thing and it's, it's really good for me, but, I, but I, I can sense that there's something missing. And though I have all of this stuff, there's, there's a hole that I'm carrying. And it's not quite right. And I know if I'm honest that I'm not worthy to be with God. And he probably sees Jesus not as God at this point, but just as a holy prophet. Right? Someone who's come to proclaim the truth about God. And so when this man says to him, Levi, come and follow me, there's an acceptance there that he never thought he would experience with God. He thought he was way too far gone to ever come this close to someone that holy. But the tax collector is not the only character in the story that we're reading about, right? And we, we saw in, in the parable, parable that Jesus tells us, there's the tax collector and the Pharisee. And in the story with Levi, we've, got, we've had Levi and Jesus, but we're now about to find the Pharisees making their own appearance into our story. And so they're busy having this feast, right? And, and it says this, says this, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. And they said to him, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Just imagine what's going on here. Levi's organized his feast. He's invited Jesus and his disciples and a bunch of his other tax collector mates, and they've all come to hang out together. You know who, who didn't get invited to that party? The Pharisees didn't get invited to that party. Let me tell you a real sad story about my childhood. Um, when I was a teenager, we used to, we used to have house parties. Right? And um, we thought we were cool. We were, tr- we were experimenting with things. It wasn't, it wasn't the best time of my life. Uh, we also weren't very nice people. I didn't know Jesus at that point either. And uh, we had some friends that, that some of us didn't like very much. And so one of our mates organized a house party, and everyone kind of arrived. And then these guys arrived, and they hadn't been invited. And he literally opened the door, said, sorry, you're not invited, and closed it in their face. That was terrible. It was like a real awful thing to do. Right? And I, I, I repent of being a part of that situation. But can you imagine the Pharisees are sitting there and they, they haven't been invited to this party. And they can see Jesus and he's having a great time with all these people. And there's a lot of wonderful food probably that's, that's sitting around. And they, they haven't, but you see, the thing is, even if they had been invited, they wouldn't have come. Right? Because they're far too holy to be with these tax collectors. They're far too righteous. They couldn't possibly mingle with these people. So they're, they're sitting there. They're sitting outside this party and they're kind of grumbling. And they're, because Levi's probably got a nice big house as a tax collector. He made lots of money. He's probably got a lovely garden. Maybe there's some, uh, there's a beautiful lawn and some trees and there's this low cut fence. Maybe you can kind of picture they're having this party sitting out on the lawn. And the Pharisees can, they're standing outside and they can see what's going on. They can see everyone having a great time. And they're really not loving it. And so they begin to grumble to each other. You know, they're like, who's this Jesus guy? He thinks he's holy. And yet, does he even know who he's hanging out with? Like, these people are so filthy. They're like the scum of the earth. I think the New Living Translation actually uses the word scum in this passage. Right? That's how strongly people felt about tax collectors. And these Pharisees are sitting outside, and they're really, they're not loving this. And they're judging Jesus and his disciples horribly. And so that's why it says they were murmuring. It's a, it's a very onomatopoeic word in the Greek. It kind of really carries that, 
um, sense of like grumbling and, and deep cynicism and upsetment. It's like I kind of picture Jesus and he's sitting there and he sees the Pharisees grumbling outside the body, right? And moaning and complaining and he kind of walks over to them and then he responds to their cynicism with a statement that's the reason we're looking at the Pharisees. And if you miss everything else, I hope you catch this moment that Jesus has to you are judging them for spending time with people they can say far too Those who are well have no need of a physician for those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. He makes these two statements together, but they really they say one thing. Right? They say one thing. It all comes down to this that Jesus into the world. The reason he came was to, to call sinners to repentance. Jesus came so that those who are sick could be made well, so that those who are broken might be fixed, so that those who can't, who don't know what is missing can find it. That's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the reason that a baby was born to a virgin in a manger. It's the reason that Almighty, eternal God entered our world in human form. It's the reason He lived among us and suffered amongst us as one of us. And it's the reason that He willingly laid down His life for us. So that sinners would come to repentance. So that those who are sick would be made well. We're talking here in terms of sickness. We're talking spiritual condition sickness. Right? There is other places where we talk about healing. This is the sickness of your heart. Where you just sit and you feel like something is wrong, something is missing. Right? Something is, is broken and you can't quite put your finger on what it is. That's why Jesus has come. That's, that's the heart of Christmas. And I hope maybe there's some of you who are here and, and you don't come to church very often. But, but this is kind of beginning to become real for you for the first time. And there's this, this germinating in your heart, this growing awareness of the love of God for you and His desire to call you to Himself. For many of us, this is a wonderful reality that we've already experienced and it's something that we walk in consistently. And whichever space you might be in this morning, whether this is something that's happening to you maybe for the first time, this is something that's reminding us of something that's very familiar about who Jesus is and what He does. I trust that, that God is moving in your heart. And I want to close my message this morning with just a two observations that I think we can take out of the story. The first one is this, that it's the condition of your heart that matters to Jesus. It's the condition of your heart that matters to Jesus. It's not what you have done. You can try to be the most righteous person in the world. You can, you can do your very best to be a great Christian. And it, it really doesn't count. You can have been the most terrible person in the world. I met so many people who have said to me, Brad, like, God would never be interested in me. If, you know, God, if God really is real and He knows what I've done, why would He ever want to spend any time with me? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That was the thing that Levi had. His life was full of bad deeds. Remember when Zacchaeus, another tax collector, was called to follow Jesus? 
the first thing that he went and did was he, he sold all of his stuff and he paid back everyone that he had cheated because there was such a long list of terrible things that he had done. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. Jesus, it's the condition of your heart that matters. Can you see the sickness in your own heart? And will you bring it to him to heal you? That's what matters. That's what Levi did. He saw that his heart was sick and broken and that it needed new life. He recognized in himself a need for a savior. And so he turned towards Jesus. That's why we see this radical response in his life. And if I can speak for a moment to the men who are here, can I just say, I, I know that this is real hard for us. We really don't like to do this. We really hate to admit weakness. We really hate to admit that actually we're not coping and that things are really difficult. And you know what? You know, when we do that, we're actually like the Pharisees. And we stand there and we say, you know, everything's great. Thank you, God, that everything's great. But actually, under the surface, I'm, I'm like just, just clinging to the tips of my fingers and I'm just holding on. One of the bravest things that you can do is to bring your heart to Jesus and to ask him to heal it. All of the pressures, all of the challenges, all of the hardships that we keep bottled up inside, there is a moment where you can bring those to him and allow him to heal them. This is the first call, and, and guys, this applies to those who are, who are righteous, those who have been walking with Jesus, those who call themselves Christians, right? And those who are outside of the faith, those who haven't accepted Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are, this heart condition is what matters to Jesus. There needs to be a humility of our hearts, a humble, repentant heart, a recognition that actually we carry inside of ourselves brokenness and damage and sinfulness, and sickness, and we need to turn to our Savior. This is something we do as Christians every day. And if we, if we aren't doing this regularly, we're probably living in a misconception of our relationship with God. It's the condition of your heart that matters to Jesus. We need to come to Him with humble hearts rather than pride and arrogance. It's the first thing I think we can take away from this. The second thing is this. And this is predominantly for those of us who, who see Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The challenge for us is this. Will you live like Jesus lived? Right? And let's just talk in this particular story's context. Right? Jesus wasn't afraid to mix with people that other people would have labeled too far gone. Or they were too sinful. They were too different to me. I could never possibly be amongst them. But he went to where they were. He found Levi and called him. He socialized in their homes. And when he did that, importantly, he did that by bringing the kingdom of God with him. And he went there and he was the one who changed others. He knew who he was and he didn't allow them to change and affect who he was, but he came and he brought the light of the glory of God into a place and brought life to those who were there. So I want to ask you this as we move into this Christmas season. Where are the sick people in your life? Where are those who are spiritually destitute and in need of a Savior? As you go into 2018, do, do you know where they are? Can you go and be the spiritual doctor to them that Jesus was to Levi? Will you go and look for them so that you can bring life 
and joy and hope into the lives of others because Jesus did that because of the spirit that was in him. He did it because that was what God had commissioned him to do here on earth. He came and ministered reconciliation to men. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see that what Jesus was entrusted with as a ministry, Paul says that's now what we carry. We are now the ministers of reconciliation. God is at work through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we continue the ministry of Jesus. That's our, that's our motto as a church. We continue the work of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, will you live like he lived? Will you find those who are around you who are in need of health, who need a spiritual doctor, and will you go to be there to bring life and light into that space and allow God to work through you? Let's close together as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that you lived. For A, what you did for us, God, the fact that we can, we can enter into your presence, that we can be redeemed of our sinfulness, that we can be washed clean and we can be called children of yours. But thank you, God, that you, you lived in such a way to show us so much of what it is to be a Christian. And I pray for us, God, I pray for those of us who are here this morning and who, are, who recognize in our own hearts this, this sickness, this, this brokenness, this desire to, to find something that fills this hole that we've never managed to fill before. God, I thank you that in Christ you are the one who fills the hole that nothing else can fill. That you are the one who comes to bring life to those who are dying. And if that's where you are at this morning, all you need to do is you need to turn to Jesus in your heart and you need to say, Jesus, I, I want you to come and to heal me. I recognize my sinfulness. I recognize my brokenness. I recognize all the problems that maybe I've hidden from everyone else. I know that you see them and I, and I want to bring them to you now, God, and I bring myself to you. And I ask you to heal me. I ask you to come into my life and to become my God and my King. And I want to begin to follow you just like Levi began to follow you. And you can agree with that in your own heart right now. You can allow God to minister by His Spirit and Jesus will come. And we pray, Holy Spirit, won't you enter into your children now? Won't you wash them clean? Won't you pour out your love on them? And welcome them into your family, God. Won't you minister incredible love and forgiveness? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, for those of us who, who do follow you already, thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us. And God, I pray that you would cause us to be courageous that you would cause us to be bold, that you would cause us to see, Lord, why you have allowed us to continue to be here on this earth for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, help us to see those around us who are in need of the love of God, who are in need of the ministry of the Spirit to come into their life. 
God, help us to go humbly, but to carry with us the Spirit of the Almighty God and to place ourselves among those who need life. We ask this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.